1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Father, pray you would just speak to our hearts today. Holy Spirit, please apply this gospel truth to our lives. Change us. May we never be the same. May we live here with our hearts ripped open and full of generosity and hope and faith in you as our provider and sustainer of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, when I think about hope, one story really stands out to me. Um, Jesus tells this story of this guy. He's walking through a field. And as he's walking, you can imagine him just kind of walking with a staff, and all of a sudden he hears, like, hollow ground under him. You guys know the story, right? So he gets on his hands and knees. He starts digging around. What in the world was that? What's buried under the ground? And he opens it up, and it is a giant wooden box laden with gold. He opens it up, and it's full of treasure. And so what does he do? Do you guys remember the story? Yeah, he hides it, right? Smart guy, first move. He looks around. Did anybody see this? He hides it. He buries it again. He runs into town, and he realizes, wait, I, I can either steal this, or I can buy this entire plot of land, all this dirt. And so he goes out, and he sells everything he has. Everybody around him thinks the dude's crazy. He's lost it. He's out there like Will Ferrell on that everything must go thing. Like his lawn is just covered with his stuff and he's selling it all. And he's smiling about it and laughing to himself. The Bible says he joyfully sold it all. And everybody's looking at him like this dude's crazy. And then he goes out and he buys the field so that he can have the treasure in it. And, 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 like everybody, you got to think about that. Everybody's looking at this dude saying, you're selling your boat, you're selling your... Your, you know, all your stuff. His kids are like, Dad, not my toys. Like, what are, what are you doing? It says he sold everything he had. And the question is why? And why was he so happy? This guy's crazy. But he's smiling because he knows something they don't. He has this, this greater hope. He has a hope that nobody else can see. He's got hope in something. He knows that he may look crazy on the outside, but this dude's smart. He's done the cost-benefit analysis, and he knows, I'm going to get rid of all this stuff I had, but I'm getting something far better in return. Right? Because he has this hope, it caused him to live his life differently. And here's, here's the deal. Guys, we all need hope. We all, you guys know that, right? You can't go through life without hope. The storms of life come... Life is difficult at times, and hope is like this lighthouse beacon that's showing you the way through the storm. It keeps moving you forward. You have to have hope. Have you ever seen somebody without hope? 
It's depressing, right? They're like lethargic and apathetic. They don't care whether they live or whether they die. Hope is gone. What is there to live for? And, and we might say, oh, these poor people, those poor people, they just don't have any hope. Here's the deal. If we miss what Paul is saying to us in this passage today, we'll all end up just like them at some point in our life, with our hopes dashed on the rocks, with the storms of life having torn us apart. We have to have hope, but it's got to be in the right thing. So three questions from the text that will guide today's sermon. What person are you hoping in? What possessions are you living for? And what place are you looking for? What person, what possessions, and what place? Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, but to, or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us everything we need for our enjoyment. The problem Paul is addressing here is not that we don't have hope right? But he's, he's saying we have hope in the wrong things all the time. What are you hoping in? That's the first question. What are you hoping in? And my hope is that you'll, you'll put your hope in God. See, when we have our hope in people or things less than God, we have hopes that will fail us and leave us high and dry. In, in fact, it's not even hope. The first thing he says is what? Command them not to be arrogant. Where do we put our hope when we're arrogant? Who are we putting our hope in? Yeah. trusting in ourselves. We think we're going to be able, our, our own ability to provide. How many of you guys have found that when you trusted in yourself, you let yourself down? Anybody? Yeah, every, every once in a while. Jeremiah says it this way, the prophet. I, I love this because he's talking to Israel, and it's like you can see the fire in his eyes when he says this. He says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed, that's a strong word, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. Not a pretty picture. Right? That's like a tumbleweed. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. How many of you guys would like to like live that existence out in your life. No thank you, right? L look at what he says next. But blessed, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose hope and confidence are in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. You see the difference there? Two totally different existences. Two totally different pictures. And what's the, what's, the, what's the different cause there? Where is their hope? Where's their hope? The one is, is looking for hope all around it. It's struggling for help. But, but the tree, the wise tree, is planted by the stream. And that represents God. We look all over the place for a place to put our hope. I mean, we do it all the time. You can hear sermons about it. You can preach the gospel to yourself. You can read scripture every day. And you still find yourself putting your hope in your job, right? Your job to be that thing that provides security and stability and a future for you. 
Right? How, how many of you guys, you like, you're like in a DNA and you're like, man, I did it again. I didn't even realize. Shoot, I confessed this like two weeks ago and here I am back here again finding my hope in this person or this thing or, or something to provide life for us. If we aren't careful, we begin thinking that we even somehow we deserve what we've accumulated. It's kind of like those seagulls on Finding Nemo. What do they say? That was really good. That was awesome. One more time. Yeah, I love it. That was awesome. You might have this sense. It's like, hey, I worked for this stuff. But God says in Deuteronomy, you may say to yourself that the power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. As long as we're hoping in something less than God, we will never have true hope because God's the source of everything. He's our provider. He's the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. And everything else is temporary, but only God is eternal. So command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. And then he says, nor to put their hope in what? Wealth, which is so uncertain. Is your hope in your wealth, which is so uncertain? I love this scripture in Proverbs. Solomon, the wisest man who lived, said this. He says, cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Just imagine that on Christmas morning, right? You open up the new iPad. Ah! Yes, and then wings. <laughs> hey, wait a second. Come back here. Yet that is a picture of all of the wealth and all of the possessions that we accumulate. Do they last forever? Does anything that we get last forever? No. So sooner or later, right, sooner or later, it will all disappear. It's, when Jesus says in Matthew 6, he says, not to store up treasures on the earth. It's not just because they might be lost. It's because they will always be lost. Either, either you know, in this life, treasures will be lost, or when you die, treasures will be lost. You, you, no exceptions. You can't take it with you. I mean, think the Egyptians, you know? Go ahead, bury them with their treasures. The grave robbers are going to get them in the end, right? Or the British Museum. Somebody, somebody's going to get them. You ever see a U-Haul, like a hearse with a U-Haul behind it? You ever see that? No, of course not. You can't take it with you. That's what Psalm 49 says. So God says not to put your hope in yourself, in others, or in wealth. Where are we supposed to put it? God says, Paul says this, he says, put your hope in what? God, who richly provides What's he provide? Everything for our enjoyment. Everything we have is from God. Food is from God. Clothes that you're wearing right now from God. This roof is from God. The breath you just took, it's a gift from God. So we can put our hope in temporary things as the gifts of God, but guys, we can never put our lasting hope our ultimate hope in anything temporary because it'll fail us.
Our ultimate hope has to be in God. And all these gifts, they're wonderful while they last. But that's what they are. They're gifts. He's our provider. Amen? So say this with me. God owns everything. I'm his money manager. (laughs) Throughout the scripture, we see this over and over. Not only does he give us the wealth we have, but he does it for a purpose. And we see just a couple of brief scriptures. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Right? That means that everything you can see is God's, even when you look in the mirror. That's what, that's what he says. Paul says in Corinthians, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. God owns everything, even me. And he didn't give it up. He didn't like just die and leave it to me in a will somewhere. It's his, and he placed it into my hands to steward, to take care of. Think about it this way. Your name is on God's bank account, and you have unrestricted access to it. It's kind of cool, right? That's, that's, a, that's a privilege that could be abused pretty easily. As his money managers, God trusts us to set our own salaries. We draw out what we need from his wealth to pay our living expenses. Imagine if you viewed wealth that way. How would that change, how would that change your attitude towards money? I love this story. John Wesley, this, this John Wesley, this amazing preacher in the um, 18th century, he's, he's uh, traveling around America, and this horseback rider comes riding up to him. Reverend Wesley, Reverend Wesley, your house is just burned down. And John Wesley just paused for a moment, and then calmly, this is what he said. He said, no, the Lord's house burned to the ground. That just means one less responsibility for me. Think about that. Was John Wesley's action, was it, was, was it denial? No. He's declaring a truth, right? God owns everything. He's our provider, and we are his stewards. Here's a truth for you guys if you have notes that you want to write this down on or just think about. When we think like owners, we become silly, greedy, miserly, entitled, and we work from a fear-based scarcity mentality. Is that one up there? Fear-based scarcity mentality. But when we think like stewards, investment managers, if you will, we are always looking for the best place to invest the owner's money because we work from a faith-based abundance mentality. God's not going to run out of supplies. He's got plenty. At the end of our life, the Bible says we're going to undergo a job performance evaluation. Romans 14, 10 through 12 says, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So you're a steward of God's finances and resources. Here's a question. How has God called you to steward it? What's he called you to do with it? And that's what we see in the next verse. 1 Timothy 6, 18. He says, Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Let me, let me ask you this question. 
Next point, what possessions are you living for? What possessions are you living for? Is your goal to be rich with temporary wealth on this earth or to be rich in eternal wealth, the eternal wealth of good works? This, this bumper sticker, this bumper sticker uh, the, other, the other day, and it said, um, God bless America. It's a nice bumper sticker. And I want God to bless America, but I also had the thought, God, God has blessed America. We're really blessed. I mean, it's cold outside and we have air conditioning on in here. Right? It's Christmas and we're getting upgrades on phones that work perfectly fine, but the new one has a cooler camera, right? 10% of the world owns a car. Do you have a car? We are 6% of the world's population in America, and we consume 40% of its resources. In fact, a recent statistic is that it, what would it take to give everybody in the world clean water and to end poverty? The same amount that it would take for that is the amount that we spend in America every year on ice cream. Right, and we are, we are rich. I know we don't, we get blind to that fact because we look around the room and we see people that have even more. But we are rich. We are living in high cotton, as they used to say. I don't even know what that means. But it's good, I think. And here's a, here's a, here's a thing that we have to say, guys. Paul's not condemning the rich, though. Paul's not condemning those of us who are rich. Right? And, and throughout Scripture, we see pictures of people who are righteous and rich. And we see pictures of people who are righteous, and they're poor. And we see pictures of unrighteous people who are wealthy, and unrighteous people who are poor. Your, your, your wealth doesn't really point to whether or not you have more faith or more favor with God. If you get caught up in that, you're going to get caught up in prosperity gospel or poverty gospel, and feel a sense of righteousness based on your wealth. But that's not what Scripture teaches. I mean, for instance, we read from Jeremiah a little while ago. During the exile, Jeremiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel were all contemporaries. They all had lives that overlap. You ever think about the fact that Jeremiah is this like super poor dude who does all this stuff for God, and he's like the weeping prophet? He writes two books, and if you read them, it's just like tears start pouring out of your Bible. The weeping prophet, man, he's going through it in life. And Ezekiel is down by the river crying because they're in exile. And yet Daniel is living in the king's palace. Wait, which one is in the will of God? They, they all are. They're all exactly where God has them. Their wealth didn't determine their, their, their faith, their level of faith or their level of favor with God, right? And so, so as we think about that, Paul is not saying we shouldn't be rich, but that we can't afford to let our hope be in our riches. When we have our hope in our wealth, our, our hearts are bound to it. And it's like we can't live beyond ourselves. We can't enter into this free and abundant life that Jesus came to bring. It's like we're Scrooge. We're just bound to our money. And our, as Tyler Durden says, our possessions end up owning us right? But when we have our hope in God, 
our hearts are freed from the things that possess them, and we enter into this, this new life, this, this free life with God that's abundant and allows us to live generous lives that, that reflect the gospel. So Paul is saying Christians show their hope in God through generosity. Randy Alcorn says it this way. He says, giving breaks our bondage. It frees us from the orbit that we live in, we have around our treasures. We escape their gravity, and we enter into an orbit around the good news of eternal reward in Christ. So Christians gladly sell everything they have in exchange for eternal possessions. They see it all as God's, and because of that, they're free to invest in the kingdom of Jesus And they joyfully give it away because they know God is their provider and he'll replenish. Let me ask you a question. When you think back to that story of buried treasure, do you feel sorry for the guy who found the treasure? Do you feel bad for him? No, we're not. I mean, but his his discovery cost him everything. Don't you feel bad for that guy? No, we're not meant to pity him. We're meant to envy him because he exchanged stuff lesser things for something of greater value. He found a better place to put his hope, a surer place to put his hope. The benefits outweighed the cost. And because of that, he's joyful about it, because he has this greater hope. And Jesus says that's what the kingdom of God is like. When we have our hope in God, we're freed to honor him with everything he's placed in our hands. When we have hope in God, that's the only way we're actually free to do good works beyond ourselves. Even though we're not saved by them, Paul says we're saved for good works, right? When we're freed by the gospel and we really trust in God as our provider, we realize that we've been blessed not to hoard everything to ourselves, but to what? To be a blessing to the world around us. The only way you're going to be free to live a generous life and to give to families around you who are struggling at Christmas time is either through just guilting yourself to death, and that's not freedom, or by being freed and trusting that God is your provider. We can commit to give regularly as our church family reaches this city. We can commit to going above and beyond in in times like this offering today, this give love offering. That's what it's about. We can feel free to sacrifice and go above and beyond because we trust God to replenish his bank account. I can rest in that. So I want to challenge you today. How much do you really hope in Jesus? And then the last verse. One last point. And this is, this is where we find that our hope can be multiplied. 1 Timothy 6.19 In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Let me ask you guys something. What place are you looking for? Are you living for right now, or are you living for eternity? Is your hope in this life, or is your hope in the resurrection? I want you to imagine it's the end of the Civil War, and you're living down, for some reason, in the Confederacy. And you've accumulated all kinds of Confederate dollars. You're loaded. And you get word that the war is about to end, and the union's going to win. And all those Confederate dollars that you have, what's going to happen in a few months? 
yeah, they're not worth very much. They might be cool collector's items at some point in the distant future, but you're not really going to make any money on this stuff. What would you do? Let me ask you, what would you do with all your Confederate money if you found out that the war was ending and it wasn't going to be worth anything? Buy stuff. Stuff's probably going to be worth more. Good. Yeah, what else? What's that? Buy gold. Buy gold, exactly. There you go. Well, you'd probably get rid of it, right? Some way, somehow. You would buy stuff. You would trade it for your American currency. You would figure out a way to, to unload all of this so that you actually have your wealth at some point. Right? If you're smart, you're going to change it. And the only money that's going to have value after the war is over is the union money. And as Christians, we have this, this same kind of ultimate insider trading tip. Right? God's kingdom is coming. There's a day coming right, where all the things that we value and treasure on this earth, they're not going to be worth that much anymore. What are you doing about that? Are you putting all of your hope in those things? Are you stockpiling them? Or are you living for another kingdom? Because you're not going to need all this stuff on the other side. There's nothing wrong with Confederate money as long as you understand its limits. Its value is temporary. You need enough to make it, right, to get by. But you, you shouldn't stockpile it. Right? According to Jesus, storing up earthly treasures isn't wrong, isn't only wrong, it's, it's just kind of stupid. Because it's not going to be worth much in a few years. Because our kingdom investments are the only thing that are lasting and multiplied. In fact, I love what Jesus says. He says, store up for who? Yourselves. He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Paul says the same thing to Timothy. Store up for themselves treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age. Doesn't it seem strange that Jesus commands us to do what's in our own self-interest? Isn't that selfish? Think about it. Is Jesus telling us to be selfish? No. <laughs> That's the answer, no. <laughs> Just in case you were in suspense. <laughs> God expects and even commands us to act out of enlightened self-interest. He wants us to live to his glory. And what we know from Scripture, and I, I wish I had time to dig into all this, but everything that's for God's glory is also for our what? For our good. Yeah, John Piper says it this way. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. All right, selfishness is when we pursue gain at the expense of others. But God doesn't have a limited number of treasures to distribute. God's not sitting up in heaven like, oh man, I hope he doesn't give away too much because I'm going to run out of stuff to give him. God's got plenty. That's a scarcity mentality. It's not a gospel view of our abundant God. But when you store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, it doesn't reduce the treasures available to others. In fact, it's by serving God and others and living generous lives that we store up heavenly treasures. It's a win-win. It's good for everyone. Everyone wins. No one loses. 
Let me ask it this way. How many of you guys have a 401k or an IRA account, even a savings account maybe? Why? Why do you have it? You know there's coming a day when you're going to need it, right? You know there's coming this day. It's, it's called deferred gratification. There's coming this day that you're going to need that. Let me ask you, are you doing that in an eternal sense as well? Are you storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven? What is treasure in heaven? It includes three things that I found in Scripture. It includes power, possessions, and pleasures. And I wish I had time to dig into this, man, but we'd be here all day. Jesus promises that those who sacrifice on this earth will receive what? Tenfold in this life and the next. Do you know what that means, tenfold? It means a hundred times. Literally, it's 10,000%. How's that? I mean, you guys know math. Is that a pretty good return on an investment? 10,000%? I have a money market savings account. It's pretty close to 10,000%. No, right? It's like 0.04%. Right? Our lesser hopes let us down, but when our hope is in God, they are multiplied. Of course, nothing compares to our ultimate treasure. Who's our ultimate treasure, guys? Christ himself, right? So here it is. We get a person. When we put our hope in God, we get a person. We get Jesus Christ himself. He's our first treasure. We get a place, new heaven and new earth. It's our second treasure. We get possessions, eternal rewards. That's our third treasure. So let me ask you one more time. What person are you hoping in? What place are you looking for? What possessions are you living for? Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, said it this way. He said, the less I spent on myself and the more I gave to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing." Did my soul become? So many people think money, riches, will bring them security, which will bring them happiness, which will bring them life. But we read every day in the tabloids in the grocery aisle that that, that just ain't true. The richest are, are often sometimes the most miserable. What is lasting happiness? What is true value in this life and the life to come? And that's living beyond ourselves. Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, writes this as we wrap this down. He says, To the degree that you grasp the gospel, money will have no dominion over you. Think on his costly grace until it changes you into a generous people. What's he talking about? Well, it's Christmas time. It's Christmas time, and I think one of the best stories that illustrated this is, is the Christmas carol. Scrooge, you guys familiar? Scrooge? He's most, most of us? Good. Scrooge, at the, at the end of this crazy night, right? The spirits have guided him through his life. He's seen his past, his present, his future. He's seen his greed, seen all these things. And he's realizing that all that stuff, the way he's been living, has damaged the lives around him, caused him to miss out on life, as it were. And he comes to an end of himself, and, and right at the very end, he's faced with all this. He's faced with his own death. And he goes falling into his grave and screaming, and it's all over. And he wakes up, 
and he's tangled in his covers of his warm bed, and it's Christmas morning. And all the bad decisions he had made, he has a chance to make right. All the, the, the money that he had lost, he has it all back, right? He had ruined all those people's lives, yet they're still here. You remember the story. What, what happens that Christmas morning? He actually had an experience of grace. Right? A second chance, as it were, undeserved, not looked for. He thought he was dead and all was lost, and bam, second chance. Now, that's not a whole lot of grace. But that's grace nonetheless. It's a picture of grace that we have. And as a result of that grace, he looks at his money, he looks at his relationships, he looks at everything in his life totally differently. Now, he's gleeful like a little kid. He's still rubbing his hands together and scheming, but he's scheming about ways to give away his money, to be a blessing to the world around him. You see a smile on his face. It's a weird picture. He's gleeful like a little kid. He can't wait to do it. He's, he's scheming to give his life away to those around him because he's been changed by grace. His hope has been shifted. His definition of life has changed. He's got this, it's not mine attitude. And the Bible says the very same thing. The Bible says, if you've experienced God's grace, you will have complete change of heart when it comes to your money. And nowhere, nowhere do we experience the grace of God so potently like Christmas, when Jesus became the unmatchable giver, the king of glory, left his throne, left the riches of heaven, and came and was born as a helpless, innocent baby. Scripture says he became poor so that through his poverty we might become what? Yet because of the gospel, all that God has is yours. Yes, everything you have is God's, but look at the exchange. Because of Jesus Christ, everything God has is now yours. You don't have to live in a fear-based scarcity mentality like a miser, holding on to everything like, like old Scrooge. You don't have to live like that bush dried up in the wilderness, hoping in yourself, hoping in others to give you life. But you're free to put your hope in God, to really trust everything to Him. And as you do that, you'll find yourself being free to live generously to live lightly, to give away gladly and joyfully because you trust in God to replenish. To have your hope multiplied, to get a return on your investment. He, yesterday was Gavin's birthday and, and he had asked for a G.I. Joe and we're sitting at John's incredible pizza and it is incredible. And he's opening his G.I. Joe and that first G.I. Joe he just stared at. It was amazing. Firstly, because I think they're discontinued. I can't find G.I. Joe's anywhere. But secondly, because it has all kinds of little guns and cool stuff, and it was a ninja G.I. Joe, and he just stared at it. And then we gave him another present, and guess what it was? Another G.I. Joe. He got six of them. He got six. He had asked, like, he just said, what do you want for uh, your birthday? Hulk smash. That's all he said. Hulk smash. So he, he came in dressed as Spider-Man. He actually left as Hulk smash. My parents had bought him the full costume with, like, the mask and the giant gloves. He, he had this hope in these little things, yet because of love, it was multiplied upon him. And, guys, our Heavenly Dad loves you so much 
He can't wait to give good gifts to his children. He's asking you to trust him. He's asking you, what's in your hand? Will you trust that with me? Will you believe that that comes from me, that it's actually mine? Will you trust me with it and see what I'll do with it? See what I'll do with your life if you'll give it to me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this Christmas reminder that we have hope. A lot of us have had hope all over the place. We still struggle with it. We put our hope in all kinds of things less than you, but we have a real reason for hope today. And nothing reminds us like this time when you came and gave it all up. You left everything so that you could have us. I pray that you would just give us hearts that respond to the gospel and say, yes, we believe that's true and we want to leave everything behind to follow you. We, we give up everything. It's all yours anyway. We trust you. Those of us that are poor, that we wouldn't strive to be rich, but that we would strive to put our hope in you to provide. Those of us who are rich, that we wouldn't strive to hold on to what we have, but that we would gladly give it away and put our hope in you. God, I pray that we would have hearts after you, and that we would become the most generous church in San Diego, that we would build churches all over this city and all over this world, that we would see thousands of people come to you, come to faith in you, because we, we can't always go. Some, some give by going, but others go by giving. And I pray that we would be senders of missionaries around this world, that we would be living for a greater kingdom, that we'd be living for a greater treasure, that we would put our hope in you, and that we would find the life that is truly life. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we're gonna turn on some music. There's communion up here. Um, our goal for the, for the offering is $1,000 per month for the next year. That's just $12,000. And we're just trusting that by faith, God is gonna provide a big bulk of that, and that next year we'll be able to just give away freely and lightly, regardless of what income's coming in, toward missions, toward needs around us, towards the needs around the globe. So please be praying about that, thinking about that in faith that God will provide. What is he calling you to give above and beyond what you, what you already do? And uh, let's come together and have communion. Love you guys. Merry Christmas.